Good morning, everyone. Long time no see. I hope everyone is doing well. You're safe. I miss you all, Sylvia and I. We sit down and have our devotions and think about you all, pray for you, and miss you. And uh, hopefully, one day soon, we'll be together in this place, worshiping the Lord as we used to be. Again, good morning, and I'd like to read a portion from the Bible. It's been on my heart. I'm sure each and every one of us is thinking about the Lord's coming during these difficult days, and we want him to come. And uh, we hope he will come very soon. Anyway, I think his coming is imminent. As he said, I am coming quickly. So I wanted to read a few verses from Second Peter, chapter 3, and verses uh, 3 through 11. Know this first, the Bible says, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. <clears throat> For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long before and the earth was formed out of water and by water. But the present heavens present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved by fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. <clears throat> but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but his patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Verse 11, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? I repeat the last uh, verse, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Let us pray. Our Father, we are in your presence this very morning, and we thank you that you have kept us alive 
sustained us and provided for us until this moment. And today, as we meditate on your word, help our hearts to be in unison, listening to your word and obeying your voice. It's not my voice that I'd like anybody to hear, but it's voice, your voice that we all want to hear. So speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My subject today is a long subject, but uh, I will tell you what it is right now. The characteristics of Christians expecting the Lord's return. The characteristics of Christians expecting the Lord's return. And I want to bring to your attention three points. You can have many, as many points as you want if you want to meditate on it. It's one, to live a consecrated life. Two, no room for idols. And three, abounding in love. The first point is to live a consecrated life. Simply put, we must live and act as an example to others. And the verse we read earlier, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what you see, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Someone said, the best sermon is a holy life. What we are is far more important than anything we ever say. We must not forget that we are representatives of Christ. Saint Augustine takes it further as he says, Christ must be all. I must have, he says, a whole Christ for my salvation. I must have a whole Bible for my staff. I must have a whole church for my fellowship. And I must have a whole world for my parish. We have to be a model so people can imitate. The Christian must be the demonstration, the proof of the divine presence in the world. After all, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Books and lessons and sermons and reasoning may have their place, but the real test in the lives of God's people is to live Christ. Paul set the example for us to follow as he wrote in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If people do not see Christ in us, everything else is just pure talk. As Christians also, we must live the truth and let the world judge. Sad to say, the truth is missing in action nowadays and in many so-called Christians. People should be drawn to us by the right 
and the good life. They see in our continued example what they are looking for and they cannot find in the world. They should see all the time Christ and him crucified for them. Paul writing to the Thessalonians in chapter 1 and verse 7, he tells them, you became, the Thessalonians, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Greece. In uh, some uh, translation it says, you became a role model. A role model. How? I believe by their way of life. By the way they practice their Christianity. In the letter to the Ephesians, Paul encouraged the believers to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he writes in 5, 15 and 16. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Are we experiencing these days? Are we going through difficult times? We have the opportunity, whether at home and some who go to work, and may God protect you all the time, to be role models, to show them what Christ-like life is all about. Recently, I read about an incident that occurred when a man was working in a shoe store in Nova Scotia. The man said that he noticed a barefoot little boy outside the baker's shop next door to the shoe store. The boy was trying to keep warm by standing on a hot air register outside the bakery. The man watching was uncertain what to do about the little boy when a middle-aged lady came by and she started talking to the child. And after a little while, she brought him into the shoe store where she purchased shoes and socks for him. The child looked at her and asked her, he said, lady, are you God's wife? She replied, no, son, I'm just one of his children. Well, he said, I knew you must be some relatives of his. He remarked, and as he thanked her very much, he left. That unknown lady was the essence of a true example, a role model of Christianity. And the little boy and the man watching were able to recognize some Christ-like qualities in her. Oh, friends, these are the last day and let us strive to live Christ. For me, to live is Christ. And let us show the world what the true Christians we really are.
The second point, as Christians expecting the Lord coming, there should not be a room for idols in our lives. Let us consult Webster. What is an idol? Webster says an image or other material object representing a deity and worship as such. Or a person of, uh, or thing, a thing devotedly or excessively admired. A false notion, a fallacy. And you can add to that so many idols today we have in the world. The children of Israel, here's one, made one during the days of Moses and worshipped the molten image. They continued their worship of the brass image of a snake even during the days of the kings. The Lord warned his people in the second commandment saying, you shall not, you shall have no other gods before me. Church, the call is to consecrate ourselves. This was the call of Joshua before crossing the Jordan to enter the promised land. He tells them in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Throw away the idols. He was telling them, if there are any idols amongst the congregation, throw it away. Because tomorrow, God is going to do wonders. Is it a habit? Let me ask you some questions. Is it a certain lust? Is it love of money? Is it greed? Is it a certain car that you're dreaming of and it's becoming an idol? Is it a house? Is it a trip you've been dreaming to take or anything else? Whatever idols we have, let us throw them out and look to God, who is the only one to fulfill our dreams. And you will see what God can do when we trust him. I knew a dear man who was studying uh, theology back in uh, Lebanon. And uh, he came to me one day. He said, you know, I discovered I wanted to consecrate myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to have anything. I want to go to bed every night knowing that I'm ready for the Lord's coming. He said, and then I wrote a little plaque there with my own hands and hung it across from me so, so I can read it before I go to bed. I said, what was it? What did you write? He said, suppose he comes tonight. Suppose the Lord comes tonight. I still remember it. It affected me a lot. And he says, maybe tonight. 
And I say to you, let's throw away all idols. Whatever that is taking all your attention, whatever is having your thoughts, it's an idol. Throw it away because maybe today, maybe this afternoon, when Sunday, toward the end of Sunday, or anywhere, anytime, maybe he comes. And then, how will we face him? With shame or with smiling faces? No room for idols. An idol is a sin. And how can Christians expecting the Lord's coming to contemplate having an idol in their hearts? Sad to say that we often justify this sin by either ignoring it or calling it a different name. That's what the, what the world, you know what the world call, calls adultery? A meaningful relationship. That's what the world is doing. Some excuse covetousness and greed by calling it prudence. And a life of sensual pleasures is called nowadays living with gusto. Oh, may the Lord help us to stick to the truth and to the word of God. The true church of God is to stay away from all kinds of idols and separate itself unto the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. When God called Jacob, who was residing in Shechem, against God's will, he told him, in Genesis 35 to put away, Jacob, the false gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. You know, I believe with all my heart that our, our friend Jacob, when he settled where God wanted him to settle, he would remember said, how did I stay in Shechem and tolerated the idols amongst my family? He lost a lot there. He lost a lot there. And, but God, because he loved him so, he took him out. In answer to a critic, I read this about Abraham Lincoln. He, he asked this question. How many legs does a cow have? Four was the reply. Well, if you call her tail a leg, how many does she have? Well, the answer was five. He said, Lincoln said, no, just calling a tail a leg does not make it a leg. A sin is a sin, and people nowadays call it in different names. And may the Lord help us. I pray with all my heart that we don't make similar mistakes. Do we think that sin is not sin? Just because we do not call it by the right name, let us stay away from idols. And Paul in Corinthians, the first Corinthians chapter 7, he tells the Corinthians do not become idolaters as were some of them. And in 1 John 5, 21, 
We read, little children, that's for us. Keep yourselves from idols. May the Lord help us to take the idols and throw them out and live for Christ alone. My third word is, Paul writing to the Thessalonians says, abound in love. Love is more important than all the spiritual gifts exercised in the church today. Great faith, acts of dedication or sacrifice, miracle working power produce very little without love. Love makes our actions and gifts useful. Although people have different gifts, love is available to everyone. Our society confuses love and lust. God's kind of love is directed outward toward others, not inward toward ourselves. It is utterly an unselfish love. And if you want to know about how God looks at love, and there's a description in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you know it all, about what love is and what love does and what love should be should be but i take verse 5 from that it says love does not seek its own love does not seek its own it seeks the welfare of others this kind of love goes against our natural inclination it is possible to practice this love only if god helps us to set aside our desires our instincts our interests so that we can give love while expecting nothing in return. Thus, the more we become like Christ, the more love we will show to others. And if we take that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and measure ourselves, what do you think? What do you think? Let's appraise ourselves there. And if we appraise of ourselves, where do we stand? Love that is unselfish, that thinks of others. Where do we measure ourselves? And may God help us to practice this love and live to please God. Paul, in his exhortations to the local church in Thessalonica, he tells especially the leaders to abound in love, meaning that they should become local examples of how love works in the church of God. We thank God for the love that we have in our church. Thank God for everyone. But it's always a warning so we can exercise it day and night day in and day out, and show the world what kind of love Christ loved us, and we are showing the world the same thing. Love, that's in the, third chapter, in the 13th chapter, never, never fails. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, we read, and I picked up the Living Bible because it's so clear and it's so you can understand it. Dear brothers, he says, John, 
I'm not writing out a new rule for you to obey. For it is an old one you have always had, right from the start. You have heard it all before, yet it is always new and works for you just as it did for Christ. And as we obey this commandment to love one another, the darkness in our lives disappears and the new light of life in Christ shines in. There is no love like the love of innocent children. They love with all their hearts. And when they hug you, they tell you, I love you. You, you, get, you get emotional about it. Especially when my grandchildren do that to me. I remember and I have tears in my eyes. I read a little story. I want to share it with you. And I hope we can apply it to what I'm talking here. A father was trying to read a serious book. But his little boy kept interrupting him. He would lean against his knees and say, Daddy, I love you. The father would give him a pat and say rather absently, oh, well, yes, son, I love you too. And he would kind of push him away a little bit so he could could keep on reading. But this didn't satisfy the boy. And finally, he ran to his father and said, I love you, daddy. He jumped up on his lap and threw his arm around him and gave him a squeeze explaining. Look to his words. Daddy, I've just got to do something about it. In other words, I have to manifest my love to you. He jumped, hugged him, and he said, I had to do something about it. That's it, the father said. He melted. He took his son in his arms and hugged him and hugged him and cried. Friends, as we grow in love, we aren't content with small talk or pat on the head a little bit or I'll pray for you or I love you. How many times we hear it? I hope we mean it. And I know it's manifested in our church. And thank God for the love that we have for each other here. Believe me, I miss you a lot and I love you a lot. And I hope this coronavirus will end so we, can, we can't hug, but we can see each other and express our love and appreciations for each and every one. That is what the apostle meant by say, abound in love. Express it and live it and practice it. This is a characteristic of the people who are waiting for the coming of the Lord. And may the Lord, Paul writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he says, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you. 
so that he may establish your heart unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I pray with all my heart that all of us will be leading a consecrated love, a separated love from this world. You can see what's happening around us. And this world is ugly. And people are showing their hearts. And what really, what they are really the kind of people who they are. Let us show the whole world what kind of people we are. We are separated. We have no idols in our lives. And we love, the Bible says, we love each other and we love the people and we should love all our enemies. And these are the characteristics of the people who are expecting the coming of the Lord. Until his return, let us be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless until that day and soon his coming. So with that, I end up my message and wish you a wonderful day and let us show the world what kind of Christians we are. Amen? Let us pray. Our Father, we are thankful that we still have the liberty to come to church and proclaim the truth from behind this pulpit. We thank you, Lord, that you have saved us, changed our lives, separated us to live for you. May, the, may we throw away every little idol, whatever it is, and live a consecrated life to you. And may our lives abound with love. Like this little boy, he wasn't satisfied with, I love you, Daddy. He wanted to express it in a different way. And help us, Lord, to express this love in being a sacrificing people, being tender, kind people, being compassionate people, helping and showing the love of Christ in us. Please accept our thanks and dismiss us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.